Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here today and happy 4th of July. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to 1 John chapter 5. If you're new, we are in a series where we have been walking through uh, 1 John for the last several weeks, and today we'll be in chapter 5. And so I don't know about you, but um, for me, and, and this might be true for you too, if you watch the news today or any day for longer than, let's just say, 60 seconds, uh, it could be very detrimental to your health. Um, anybody amen that at all? Is that part of what you go through? I mean, your blood pressure might start to rise. You start getting extremely pessimistic and, and negative and, you know, you're, you're, you know, not only your blood pressure, but your heart rate and, you know, you're upset and angry at people that you don't even know. You might even start yelling at the TV. Now, I know you have never done that, but uh, you might start yelling at the TV. Your wife's in the other room praying, dear God, just help him, you know, and it's just like every time, no matter what side of issues you're on, if you turn the, the news on, that just has... Um, that, that tendency to, to draw the worst out of us. And, and I'm like you, I mean, there are so many things right now in our country that are just simply frustrating. I mean, when you watch the news and you hear people talk about defund the police, it's just like, that's absurd. Uh, however, when you do see like racism in America, it is angering. It, it's just upsetting and frustrating when you actually see it or you read about it. When you uh, watch and you see these politicians who tell you one thing and then do another, it's frustrating. Uh, it's frustrating that so many of them just lie straight to our face and expect us to believe them. It's extremely frustrating. It's, an, it's frustrating when you see tax dollars going to fund abortions. It's frustrating when you see uh, men trying to play women's sports. It's just frustrating all over the place. It's, it's, it's frustrating in so many ways. And as I was, as I was um, working on this message and I'm, 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 I'm reading the text and, and, and John today is gonna tell us how to cope with problems and, and, and issues in our life. And so I'm thinking how on July 4th are we gonna be able to like celebrate and be happy with so much frustration going on in the world around us? And as I'm studying God reminds me of something. He reminds me that the, the writer of 1 John is the apostle John. And as he is writing this message and, uh, to the churches in the area there, um, what he is facing is way worse than what you and I are facing today. He's facing a culture that is anti-God and corrupt. He's facing a government that hates Christianity. I mean, he is, is, is facing a culture that had legalized abortion at that time and even infanticide. There was no due process of law. There was no freedom of speech. There was no right to bear arms. There was no such thing as equal justice. There was no right to a speedy and public trial. There was no innocent before proven guilty. There was no law respecting an establishment of religion. There was no right to peaceably protest. There was no right to unreasonable uh, searches and seizures. For hundreds of years after the resurrection of Christ, Christians were discriminated against. They were hated. Their land in some cases was stolen and taken from them. Their businesses shut down, thrown into jail for no reason other than they were Christians. In many cases, they were, their legs were broken, their noses and ears were cut off. 
um, just because they wouldn't sacrifice to the pagan Roman gods at that time. They were brutally murdered, sentenced to all kinds of terrible punishment. And you're not going to read about that in the Bible. They didn't make it into the Bible. They're not gonna, and haven't made it into the history books when you go to class and study uh, world history, but they are in Christian history. And it's important for us to know that. It's important for us to recognize today that, that even John was exiled from normal living and he was sent as punishment to live on this deserted island called Patmos. And the reason why he was sent there was not because he broke any, you know, he didn't kill anybody, he didn't, he didn't steal anything. He tells us why in the beginning of Revelation chapter one. He reminds us and says, I'm your brother and I'm your partner in suffering. And he says, in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. He says, I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. So as we celebrate the freedom that we have in America today, and as we also wrestle with some of the frustrations, let's also make sure that we thank God that today we can still preach the word of God, we can still share our testimony about Jesus freely, amen? And when, he looks, when we look at this verse here, he specifically points out a couple of things that I underline because I think it's something that might be foreign to us. See, sometimes as Americans, we think we shouldn't be suffering for anything. We're entitled to this free, easy, everything, you know, kind of is smooth in our life. And that's kind of the expectation. And I'll sue you if it messes with that. And, and, and I'll, I'll complain on Yelp and I'll, I'll, you know, post something here. You know, we're, we're kind of dialed into a way of living in our culture now that if it's not perfect for me, then I'm going to criticize and slander. And we're kind of okay with that, even as Christians. But John here says that I'm your partner in suffering. And I wonder how many Christians here would say that, yeah, I'm, I'm suffering for the cause of Christ today. I wonder how many of us would say, look, okay, this patient endurance is required in my life. You know why? Because Jesus called me to do it. And so this calling to, yes, suffer, yes, endure what Jesus has called us, namely for doing what? Preaching the word of God and sharing our testimony. Here's a thought, here's a question. How many of us would get arrested this week if it was illegal to preach the gospel and to share our testimony about Jesus? How long would it take? You see, for too long, I think the Christian church is asleep. The Christian church has, has fallen into a comfort zone to which all we care about is our rights, all we care about is fighting for our certain politician, our certain president. All we care about is what's convenient for me, comfortable for me. And we have, we have essentially began to subtract the calling that Jesus has given to us. And so when we look at 1 John 5 today, it's very simple. And what John is teaching us and sharing with us as 
he is about to get arrested and sent to Patmos for preaching the gospel is, is simple, yes. Easy to teach, yes. But not always easy to follow. Not always easy to actually practice. But the, what's interesting about how governments treat us as Christians and, and what's interesting about John is, is this. What the Roman government used to silence John, go to this island, we're gonna silence you, God actually used to reassign John. The work that God wanted John to do, the reassignment was to write the book of Revelation. And so he needed to get him alone. He needed to get him in this, what he thought was suffering and this wrongdoing. And he could have been negative and, and, and angry, but he goes to this island and God says, I'm gonna show you something, write this down. And what the government is using to try to silence you, this is really me reassigning you because I have a bigger mission and a bigger plan. And I think as God's church, we need to recognize that God is still in control. God has a mission for you. We've gotta get out of our selfishness and what we think is the right thing for our country. And we have to start asking the question, what's the right thing that God is doing here now for me and how should I respond? So how do we overcome frustration? How do we overcome pain? How do we overcome suffering? Maybe you saw this in, in the news this week, but Shikari Richardson is a, a, a gold medalist favorite for the Tokyo Olympics uh, this year in the 100 meter race. But on Friday, she was suspended for her use of marijuana. And so what's interesting about the story is, is the response that she gave and, and the reason why she gave uh, for, for using this. And so essentially her mother passed away. And so she said that in response to that devastation, she used marijuana to cope with her feelings. Now, my heart goes out to her. Someone who has lost my mother, I know the pain of what she must be going through. But the quote that she gave, I felt was really interesting and, 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 and was helpful to remind us about today. She said this, and I quote, we all have struggles. We all have different things we deal with. Who am I to tell you how to cope when you're dealing with pain or you're dealing with the struggle? Who am I to tell you how to cope? Now that statement really resonates with America. Who am I to tell you how to live your life? By God, I'm an American and that's right. I mean, that's essentially our attitude in so many ways. We're free, we can do what we want to do, but that mentality is a very dangerous way to live your life. In fact, I would suggest that it is an ungodly way to live your life. Just because you're upset, sad, devastated, lonely, does not give you the right to disobey God's commands, to disobey the laws of the land today. And so just because it makes us cope with the situation, just because it makes us feel better about ourselves, does not give us biblical grounds to slander, hate, divide, or to do something that is illegal. And I believe the Bible tells us how we can cope with feelings. Uh, I believe the Bible tells us how we can overcome. And that's the question that I want us to wrestle with today. How can we cope with the problems that we are facing? And some of us are, are coping in negative ways today. We have 
these negative coping mechanisms. They've become habits. They're kind of our default that we go to when we feel angry, sad, mad, alone, whatever unpleasant feeling you wanna name. Every single one of us have various ways that we cope with that. One of those ways that is popular is essentially to escape. So escapism. So if I'm mad, sad, angry, lonely, whatever, I want to escape friendships, I want to escape other people and just be by myself in hopes that I will feel better about myself because I'm with, when I'm with other people, all these negative feelings come out, so I want to escape and get away from people. Very unhealthy way to cope with issues and problems in your life. Another popular way is self-soothing. So we have various things that soothe us. Maybe it's food, comfort food, and so we overeat. Uh, maybe it's television, and so we'll binge watch and out, uh, watch hours of TV, or maybe it's uh, overusing the internet or social media. You know, we're scrolling Facebook, the next thing we know, an hour has passed. But it's self-soothing because we're not focused or thinking about our issues or our problems. And Overdrinking is another way, even, even drugs or medications that, that we take to self-soothe us from the pain. Another unhealthy way is compulsion or risk-taking. And so a lot of people will cope with their feelings by taking risks. So maybe it's in business and they, they're really on the edge in their business to, to take a risk because they need that adrenaline rush to help them cope with some of the feelings that they're facing or or maybe it's gambling because when I gamble, I get that rush. And if I win, if I don't win, whatever it is, that, that risk and that rush is something that people, a lot of men use to help them cope with their feelings of, of not living a meaningful life or kind of living a boring, mundane life. And so there are many other risk-taking things that people might do. And uh, I think one of the worst uh, is self-harm. Another popular way Young people uh, especially might deal with this, a, a self-harm way. How, why? How, how does that help? Well, it's a coping mechanism. It's a way that, that it releases some of the frustration and pain for some people. All these ways are unhealthy ways to cope. And so John is gonna very clearly give us ways that we can cope. And again, it's gonna be so simple. You're gonna be like, I know this. But at the same time, the, the reality is when we grow in our faith, it's not just about knowing more stuff, hearing more stuff. It's about doing what we already know. And so here's what John says. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God, and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? Now, anytime the Bible in a very short few verses repeats a word, you wanna take notice of that. So the word overcome, overcome, overcome. We see the word victory. 
So he's telling us, here's how we overcome. Here's how we cope with the problems, the issues that we're facing in our life. And in verse four, the victory to overcome this world, he says, is our faith. And so very simply, step number one, to overcome the issues, the problems in this country, in your marriage, in your life, is your faith in Jesus. Your faith in Jesus. You see, when you have faith in Jesus, you recognize and know that God's in control. Even though it's hard and difficult, Jesus loves you. You are a child of God. He's using this to maybe help you grow, right? We, we know this in the Bible. You know, we, we live in a sinful, broken world. And because of that sinful brokenness, sinful people do sinful things and hurt us. And sometimes as a sinful person myself, I hurt people. And it's not because God doesn't like you or God's angry at you. It's just simply because of evil in the world. And so, but we know that God uses that evil that happens to us for our good and for his glory if we have faith in him. And so as we face frustrations, it's amazing to see how many Christians are freaking out right now. It's amazing to see how angry Christians are right now in America about all these things. And it's like, let's hit the brakes. Where is our faith in Jesus? What's interesting about what John is writing at this point, he had every reason to be upset at the government. He had every reason to bash. He had every reason to write to the churches. This is how terrible the Roman government is. And I'm telling you right now, it's not. I mean, he could have done the whole deal, but he doesn't. He tells us simply, your faith in Jesus is what's gonna overcome this. Love God, love God's family, love God's commandments. That's it. But what have we done as Christians? For 10 years now, and roughly 10 years, all this social media began. It started off as blogs. So people blogged and dissed and hated and slandered everybody through blogs. Now it's coming into Twitter and Facebook. And so for 10 years, we've read the blogs. We're always watching media. Now we're, you know, on social media now. And all these, you know, people with, they don't even have their face. It's just an image and it's not even their real name. And they're blasting and they're saying all this stuff. And Christians are reposting it and liking it. It's like, what are we doing? How, how is that a biblical response to the problems and the issues that we're facing? Like, where is our faith in Jesus that maybe he's put us in this situation for a bigger calling, a bigger purpose? In fact, I love what Galatians 5 teaches us. It's so simple. Paul says this in Galatians 5, 15, for you have been called to live in freedom, brothers and sisters. But do not use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Wow. Did you know that America didn't make you free? Jesus did. Sure, we, he gave us a free country to express this religion, but there are a lot of people living in a free country who are living in bondage today. There's some people in the room living in bondage today, and even though you believe in freedom and even though you live in America, and you're gonna light fireworks off today. Paul says, live in freedom. But don't use that freedom to satisfy sin, your sinful nature. Use that freedom to serve one another. 
instead of serving one another, the church is just hating one another. And we're hating what we might think in our mind like the opposite side. The people that we're trying to reach with the gospel. The people that we're trying to preach the gospel to. The people that we're trying to win to Jesus. The people that we're trying, what Paul says here, to serve in love. And we're missing the mark. Our focus is everywhere but where it needs to be. And I think that's one of the reasons why John writes how he does. The word victory comes from just an interesting note, the Greek word Nike. So if you like the Nike company, there you go. It's named after the Greek goddess of victory named Athena Nike. So anytime you read in the Greek um, New Testament, the word vic- victory, it's the word Nike. Now, uh, the, the, the best way for us then to cope, to have that victory, to overcome whatever anger, whatever lust, whatever sin, however we think we can change the world, whatever battle against sin that we have or the political battles that we uh, choose to to, to fight for, we have to understand that when we have faith in Jesus, it transforms the way that we think. It transforms the way that we deal with problems. It transforms the way that we cope and the way that we even view our problems. Jesus, in, in Jesus, we know that these problems are temporary. We know that they are teaching moments. And so in this, we think, man, this is the kind of faith that we need. This is the kind of faith that I want. Where does this faith come from? And it's interesting that he says it like this. He says, God is the author of your faith in verse one. He says that God, in fact, is the one that, that gave you this faith in the first place. Verse one, you're born of God or born from God. In other words, he bore your faith. And so our faith is God born. So we are reborn because God gave us that birth to have our faith. Now that's interesting because uh, sometimes we talk about our faith like it's something that we did, you know? Something that we did, we say things like, well, I, I got my life right with God. I got it right with God. Well, bless God, you're amazing. I, you know, started going to church. I got, I, I started going, right? A lot of I in our stories. A lot, of, a lot of I started living right. And essentially, what we have to understand is that the author of our faith is God himself. Faith isn't something that you simply did. You didn't just start coming to church. You didn't just say, I wanna be a, a, a Christian. No, this is, and that would be evidence that God was giving and birthing faith inside of your life. In fact, Jesus said it like this in John chapter six. He said, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. So in faith, in salvation, it is the result of God the father, the spirit of God drawing you to Jesus. The Bible says, seek and you will find. So he gives you that desire to seek. And then one day when you come to faith, it is because an evidence of the the rebirth that God has gifted you with. Now, listen, when you understand that, that your faith is God born, that's a reason to praise Jesus, amen? 
That's a reason to sing. That's a reason to come to church. That's a reason to have faith in Jesus. That's a reason to, 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 to recognize the whatever problems are going on, that Jesus is king and we're gonna get through this. Right? That's a reason to lift up our hands with a shout of praise. So God is the author of our faith, but who is the focus? Is it me? Is it what I did? No. He says Jesus is the focus of our faith. Jesus is the focus. Now, how does he say that? He says in verse one, everyone who believes. Everyone who believes what? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Now, I know when we read this, we just kind of read quickly past that, but what does that mean to believe that Jesus is the Christ? I mean, a lot of Americans are spiritual. A lot of Americans, you know, have a faith of some kind. And so you'll hear people say things like, yes, I have faith, but I just don't attend church. Or yes, I believe in God, but I also believe that there are many ways to God. God's too big to just create one path to heaven. And so there, there has to be many ways to God. So what does it mean to be to have a, a, a faith that is born from God, believing that Jesus is the Christ. Well, the, the Greek word Christ simply means the anointed one, simply means that he is the chosen one. So the chosen one of God, the uh, anointed one of God, the Hebrew version of the same word is the word Messiah. So the Bible says that Jesus is Christ, says the, that Jesus is the Messiah, which is essentially meaning in that you are believing in the fact that he is the anointed one. And as the anointed one, it means that he came as the son of God to live in the flesh on earth. He was fully God and he was fully man. In his lifetime, he performed countless miracles, more than we could even record in the Bible, the New Testament teaches us. But some of those were resurrecting people who were dead turning water into wine, healing multiple sick and lame people from their diseases and from their infirmities. He also allowed himself to be crucified on a cross, to suffer and to die, because that was God's way of paying for your sin and paying for my sin. He died on that cross and he was in the grave for three days, but on that third day, he rose victoriously, defeating sin, defeating death. He appeared to over 500 people before he finally ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father today. And so when I believe that Jesus is the Christ, I am believing that gospel story. And I understand the fact that that, that death on the cross is a way that he offers you, the only way that he offers you forgiveness from your sin today. And through that forgiveness of sin, now you can then have a relationship with God the Father. There is no other way for us to know who God is, to understand God, to follow God, to trust God, and to have heaven as our eternal home, apart from trusting by faith that Jesus is Christ. Some of you today maybe have never given your life to Jesus. And I pray that you would make that decision today. In fact, the reason why some of you are even here today, you don't even know why you came to church, but the evidence of God working in your life is that you're here. Or maybe that you're listening today. God the Father is drawing you to his son, Jesus. And when you do give your life to Jesus, when you're receiving him by faith, 
you're making Jesus the authority of your life. And that brings big changes, big changes in your life. It changes how you feel, how you respond. There is evidence of that faith. And the evidence is not how you feel. It's not your emotions. Sometimes you'll sing a song and you'll get, the, you'll get cold chills. and You'll be like, ooh, the spirit. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Maybe you just like the song. I don't know. But it's not based on feeling or emotion. That evidence uh, isn't, uh, of your faith isn't demonstrated by speaking in tongues like some of our charismatic brothers and sisters might believe. That evidence is not that you're smarter or wiser than other people on social media. The evidence is not that you have the right political view or you have the right uh, voting um, history. No, not at all. The evidence of your faith in Jesus is the second way that we deal with our problems, that we overcome this world. And he says, you love God's family. I know. It's like, how does that help? How, how does faith in Jesus and loving God's family help me overcome my problems? And, and in so many ways, in so many aspects, it's not as easy as point number one, point number two, and point number three. It just works. It's how the spirit of God moves. In verse one, everyone who loves the father and has been born of him loves his children. They love those who have been born of him, which means the family of God. He says, we all know that you have a love for God when you love God's children. And so that's evidence of our faith, no matter what people look like, no matter what their political view is, no matter where they live or where they came from or no matter what color of skin they have or how they look or how they talk or what their education is, Despite all of that, if they have faith in Jesus as a child and son and daughter of, of God, we have a bond and a calling to love one another. So much so that I would say that you have more in common with someone who was born on the other side of the world, who had a completely different experience than you, have different color of skin, has a different everything. You have more in common with that person than your next door neighbor who looks like you, talks like you, and you spend time with because of that faith in Jesus. Because when you have faith in Jesus, it changes everything about how you think, how you respond to your emotions, how you view the world. And the man, the neighbor, the woman next door to you who does not have faith in Jesus, even though it might feel like you have a lot in common with them, you have more in common with someone on the other side of the world if they have faith in Jesus. Now, take that in for a minute. That's the bond that John is talking about. And so one of the healthiest ways that you and I can cope with the issues and problems in the country, in the world, internally, my mental health, my spiritual health, is to be connected with God's people and to serve God's people and to love God's people. Being here every Sunday is one of the most important spiritual disciplines that you will ever develop in your life. God will speak to you on a Sunday that you were not expecting it. God will speak to your son and daughter on a day that you weren't prepared for. So every single day, it's just like the discipline of prayer or the discipline of reading God's word. We do this and over time, 
our faith is built, our mind is changed, and little by little, God makes us more like Jesus. And folks, this is what the world needs. In fact, I read a recent study. It was done in 2018 by Cigna, over 20,000 adults in this survey. And what the survey found was that nearly half of Americans report sometimes or always feeling alone. Half, half of this room, sometimes or always feel alone. How is that possible that you can be married, you can have children, you could all live in the same house, you could have hundreds of Facebook friends and still feel alone? It happens. It's happening right now to some of you. I've experienced it myself. Another study by Barner Research in 2019 said that 20, almost 25% of millennials report that they often feel lonely and isolated. So 25 out of 100 millennials are feeling isolated and lonely. This is the world we're living in. And let's not forget, these are studies done prior to COVID. We just spent a year in quarantine. We're coming out of quarantine now. We're re-engaging life. Half of us already felt, felt alone and isolated. Imagine how people are feeling now. Imagine how you feel right now. Maybe the habit of coming to church hasn't been solid. The focus has been changed. You're wrestling with all these issues in politics. It's no wonder you feel alone. It's no wonder you're frustrated. It's no wonder you're not making a difference in someone's life. We love convenience. We love what we think is important. But what John is telling us is if we wanna overcome this world, our faith in Jesus and our love for God's people, a love to serve, a love to be in relationship. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another. And so church, this is the time when we've gotta come back to church and we've gotta make it a habit. This is the time when we need to invite our friends and neighbors to be in church. This is not a time to rant and to rave. This is a time to focus on the fundamentals of our faith. This is the time for us to love others. How are we gonna change this world? I can tell you, I cannot change my own children's minds and I love them dearly and I live with them. How in the world am I gonna change your mind? With a tweet. <laughs> I'm not. Faith is God born. God can do it. What I'm called to do is pray. And what I'm called to do is serve. What I'm called to do is point people to the gospel. And that's exactly what you're called to do. Let's do it. Let's invite people. Let's get in relationships. Let's get in a small group. Let's trust God's plan to overcome the world is going to work. And that might be the issue. We're not trusting his plan. We're trusting our plan. My plan to work and have money and stay busy and get my kids a college scholarship. That's, that's the plan. Well, I can tell you, college scholarships are not all that they're cracked up to be. <laughs> I can tell you stories of how, even though I got to go to school for free, I hated a majority of that time. And part of it was because I was outside of God's will, different stories, share that later. 
but our focus has to be on God's plan. Jesus said the two greatest commandments, love God, love others. Great commission is to make disciples. And so the fundamentals of, of how we have to get back to this is where I think we are. And this is exactly what the third, uh, I think, command is in this text. He says, love to obey God's commands. If you love God, he says in verse two, you'll love his commands. He also makes it clear that these commands in verse three are not burdensome. Some of you think trusting God, following God means that it's gonna be a burden, it's gonna stink and it's not gonna be fun. No, I'm telling you, when you finally follow and trust Jesus, it is not a burden, it is a joy because you finally realize that chasing women or chasing drugs or chasing a high, that is hell. Chasing money, chasing fun and entertainment. Jesus is the only way that you have life. In fact, he, he tells us, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. Some of you are restless today. Your soul is restless. You're seeking, you're searching for answers. You want more out of life. And Jesus says, I, I, I wanna give that to you but you've got to follow my plan. Love to obey his commands. Now, loving people is difficult, no doubt about it. It's not easy. It's not easy to, to, to do, but at the risk of oversimplifying this, what if our plan moving forward this year was actually to have faith in Jesus no matter what we're going through. We're gonna trust him. We're gonna love each other. We're gonna love God's church, be committed to God's church, serve each other. And we're gonna, we're, we're gonna love to obey his commands, namely loving God, loving people, making disciples. What if we did that? I think if we did that in love, God would use us through the Holy Spirit to lead people to Christ. And I think when that happens, then, then the next step is now there are more people who have faith in Jesus. There are more people who love God's church and serve God's church. And then there are more people who, who love to obey God's commands, which makes your, your church better, your neighborhood better, your city better, your state better, your country better. Jesus is our hope. Not a president, not a political stance, not a new law. Jesus is our hope. So our calling then must be, has to be, to follow his plan, to share this truth. I think one of the reasons why America is so frustrating today is because God's church hasn't been demonstrating a strong faith that Jesus is in control. We haven't been demonstrating a love for this world. We've been picking and choosing sides. We haven't been demonstrating an obedience to his commands. And if you wanna know my honest opinion about it, it's the church's fault that we struggle and have so many frustrations in the world. We're not allowing the Holy Spirit of God to work in us and through us. Instead, we're allowing the God of this world, the enemy, to continue to divide this world. So, despite this pandemic, we've decided to press forward. Despite what we've been dealing with, we're pressing forward as a church. So we're renovating space for kids for parents and kids who aren't here yet. So when I say invite, space is coming. I believe God's gonna fill it up with new people, with new faith, with transforming power. 
And the second thing that we're pressing forward is we've been talking about a second campus for a, a second location for a long time now. And uh, I am excited to actually announce that we have located a, a space and uh, we have actually set a date to begin that new location. And so on September 12th, uh, we're gonna start our first location in the Bearden Middle School in Knoxville. And I am so excited that we finally get to do this together. Amen, praise God. Healthy churches is what this community needs. Healthy churches, preaching the gospel, showing people the truth is what our city and country needs. And that is our motivation. I'm gonna close today with a letter that I read from a wife of a United States Army officer. It's quoted in the book, Seven Miracles That Saved America. But I thought her letter was extremely important and encouraging to me as we celebrate the fourth and as we talk about uh, the freedom that we have in Christ and that freedom to serve others. On January 7th, 2007, she said, I returned home to see a short message from my husband who was serving in Iraq. He said, I need to talk. I lost my friend today. But when a soldier dies, they put everyone on blackout. So it was more than three days before I was able to talk to him. In the meantime, I was feeling this intense grief that had started long before I read the message. My husband was finally able to share with me the circumstances of his friend's death. They'd been riding together in an armored Humvee when a sniper shot rang out and hit his friend, who was the gunner, straight in the head. He instantly slumped forward and my husband knew something was wrong. After slicing through the straps that held him in place, he pulled, he pulled him into his arms. As Eric lay in my husband's arms, he exhaled one last time. My husband leaned forward and kissed him on his forehead and said, I love you, brother. He then, he treated his wounds as though he were yet alive and held him and prayed over him till they returned to the base where he carried him from the vehicle and placed him in the hands of others who took his body. This was a witness to me of a terrific love that develops between perfect strangers who in almost any other circumstance would not qualify for the depth of love they have for each other. A love that sometimes seems to be equal to or even greater than those who are blood relatives. That during the darkest time in someone's life, the ugliest things upon this earth something so glorious as love can grow. Mm. Folks, this is the kind of love and commitment that the apostle John is talking about. And what may be the darkest hour of your life and what may seem like the dark hours of our country when some of the ugliest things are happening in our cities around us, something as glorious as love can happen. And it starts with each of us. It starts with me, it starts with you. And it grows when we have a faith in Jesus. 
It grows when we care about our brothers and sisters in Christ. It grows when you love the commands of God and you actually do them. And they're not a burden to you, but they are are, are a joy to you. And this is how every single one of us has victory over this world, victory over sin, and victory over frustration and pain and suffering and evil in our life. This is God's plan. Let's trust him and go do it together. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, in a frustrating time, in a frustrating world, we recognize that we live in a pretty amazing place. And that the freedom that you gave to us is a freedom like no other. And so we celebrate our salvation today. We also celebrate the gift of the country that you have given us to. No, not perfect and yet great in so many ways. Namely, the ability for us to live for you. And you've given us this amazing ability to be able to share our testimony and come to church and grow healthy relationships and pursue you. And Lord, so many of us take that for granted. Today, remind us that freedom came at a price. Freedom moving forward will equally lead to suffering in so many ways and prepare us, strengthen us, guide us, help us to live out the gospel every day. Get focused on the calling that you've given to each one of us individually because you have called us to live free lives, but not to live this free life for ourselves. No, to live this life in service of others. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text FC Decision to 97000, or you can head over to foothillschurch.com slash decision. We hope you have a great week.